the computer's fixed, which means the podcast is back. It's the 414 Sports Podcast, powered by Sewer Ninja's No Dig Sewer Repair and presented by ERA, My Pro Realty, and Brookfield. Let's go. Instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, powered by Sewer Ninja's No Dig Sewer Repair and presented by ERA, My Pro Realty in Brookfield. Let's go. Sewer Ninjas No Dig Sewer Repair and presented by ERA My Pro Realty in Brookfield. I'm Don Wachillas. Thank you so much for logging in and joining us. Happy to see we got the glitches out of the computer and now we can get back to doing our podcasts here. Whether you found us on Spotify, Google, or Apple or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on, glad to have you with us as today, obviously. We'll talk some Packer football. We'll talk some things in and around the NFL. We'll have to readdress the Badgers and their catastrophically poor performance on Saturday. Get into some baseball as the Brewers continue to hang around just a game and a half out of the wild card spot. And they'll take the field tonight against the dreaded St. Louis Cardinals who are running away with the NL Central, so we've got all of these elements coming in to play on this particular episode. Before we get into that, my thanks as always to Sewer Ninjas. They're dedicated to solving sewer issues with the latest no-dig sewer repair technology to minimize cost and disruption. Sewer Ninjas utilizes new technology that can repair the sewer system without having to dig up the existing lateral, saving you thousands, plus providing you with a lifetime of protection. Sewer Ninja is a family-owned local business that takes pride in every job they do, whether it's large or small. When you need help, turn to the drain and sewer experts for Milwaukee and the surrounding communities. Give them a call, 414-250-8605. That's 414-250-8605. Well, with the Packer win... On Sunday, there were a couple of notes that I'm sure people have talked about already on other podcasts and on the sporting news uh, radio talk shows, whether locally or nationally. But let's, let's cover at least three elements that were of particular interest in that 14-12 win on Sunday. First and foremost, I shouldn't say it that way, but first and foremost for our discussion It was the fact that David Bakhtiari was back. Now, Bakhtiari had not played a game since he tore that ACL back on December 31st of 2020. And so the fact of the matter was that going into this, they were going to put him, as we would say in baseball, on a pitch count. He was going to play a certain number of snaps. It really equated to him playing 
every other series. But the fact that he got through it, he got through it injury-free, apparently pain-free. There have been no reports, at least to the time of us putting this podcast together, that he suffered any ill effects about playing in that game on Sunday. So David Bakhtiari, who has been given time to rest and heal, now appears to be getting back into the fold, and that's a good thing to see, especially if you're Aaron Rodgers and, of course, if you're a Packer fan, that the all-pro left tackle now is finding his way back into the starting lineup. Now, here's one thing before we have to move forward that I I want you to think about, and and whether my theory is wrong, correct, who knows, but I'm going to throw it out there because I think the Packers are using the first four games almost like preseason. The Packers and other teams now have stopped playing starters in the preseason, meaningless preseason games that don't count on the record, so to speak. And so why risk these million-dollar starters on a preseason game that's meaningless when we'll wait and throw everybody in game one? And so I get the idea with the rest that they're giving Bakhtiari and how they're working them back into the mix. When you see how the staff, how Matt LaFleur hasn't really done anything as far as adjustments go in the second half, things have been a little bit vanilla, a little bit more than what you would see in a preseason game, but we haven't seen the full playbook yet. And so part of my thinking is and wondering if we're putting out a game plan We're sticking to that game plan because, A, we've got a bunch of young guys who haven't fully digested all of the plays that sit in that playbook. So we're using sections and portions in developing a game plan and trying to win the game, and we're not going to deviate much because we don't want to add that mental pressure to these young receivers like a Romeo Dobbs that we'll get to in a moment in trying to just get out there and play football. When you have a player who's thinking way too much as opposed to just playing, that's when problems persist and exist. And so I just get the idea that the Packers right now are using these first four games like preseason, even though the games count. And I would argue that behind closed doors, they would say if they were to go through the first four games and come out two and two, they would be elated. And that after what used to be the quarter poll, you know, when we were at 16 games, now it's 17. But when we get to that 25% mark of the season, roughly, that's when really now we start to implement things more full speed. And so to see the Packers get a win like they did in Tampa, in which the second half looked brutal from an offensive standpoint. From a defensive standpoint, the Packers played well, with the exception of, at times, giving up some big yardage, especially in the middle of the field, where I whether it's miscommunication, whether it's the scheme, I have no idea, but defensively there were times when it, it looked ugly, but yet they found a way to get it done. And so one of the aforementioned, and that was Romeo Dobbs. Now, Romeo Dobbs had eight targets. He comes away with eight catches. He goes for 73 yards and a touchdown. 
only one other rookie receiver has caught more passes in a regular season game. You have to go all the way back to 1954, and that's Max McGee. He caught nine for 105 yards and a touchdown. And the last player not named Devontae Adams to get eight receptions, eight catches in a game, is Randall Cobb back in 2018. So to see Romeo Dobbs get the kind of work that he did on Sunday, make the number of catches that he did with Sammy Watkins, surprisingly, who's out, back on IR, gone probably for a month, and we saw Christian Watson who didn't play because of a hamstring. So there was a lot of pressure on a very young Romeo Dobbs, and he handled it like a true champ. Now, we talk about Bakhtiara, we talk about Dobbs. That was on the positive side. The Packers, however, if there's an element that really needs to be addressed on the offensive side, amongst other things, it's converting on third down. In the first half, or at least within the first half, they converted the first five of their third down opportunities, and yet after that they finished six for 15. Now how much of that goes back to what I was saying earlier, how vanilla maybe the playbook is right now in working towards finishing up week four against the New England Patriots and then really opening things up and going from there. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Whatever it is, third down has been an issue and was an issue on Sunday, so improvement needs to be made there. Where we saw improvement, though, for the Packers in two different phases. Number one, they really have shown an improvement with regards to their run defense. We knew going into the season that the Packers on paper looked really strong on the defensive side of the ball, and they're showing that right now, especially when it comes to run defense. Now, we touched a little bit on the fact that there are times with the secondary where they're not looking as strong, and so we're seeing teams get big chunks of yardage, whether it's miscommunication, poor scheme, uh, improper leverage, you know, when when you're trying to cover a particular receiver, whatever the case may be. But on the other hand, we see the fact that their run game defensively is been on point. And so we love to see that emerging as the season goes. And then the other thing that we have to say that was such a call of angst last year and that was special teams special teams so far this year has been exactly what we needed and there were a few times that we saw on Sunday especially on punt coverage that yeah there were a couple of ticky-tack calls that you just wonder about but overall the special teams for the Packers right now has been just unbelievable and let's hope that continues to grow as well One news of note, and that was cornerback Jair Alexander. He went out with a groin injury on Sunday. The reports are, as of the time of us putting this podcast together, that he escaped, shall we say, major injury, but the depth of what that groin injury is is yet to still be determined. But at least the early prognosis is good, so maybe he misses a week or two and then can find himself back in the fold 
which is a lot better than what could have happened with regards to an injury like that. So Jair Alexander may miss a game or two, but it looks as if it wasn't as severe as what was feared when he went in to be evaluated. So with all of that, the Packers now have to play New England at home. We've seen the fact that Mac Jones now has a high ankle sprain, so he will not be playing. He will not be quarterbacking the New England Patriots. The fact that the Packers know that now means they can start scheming differently for his replacement, and let's hope that as the Packers return back to Lambeau after, again, the win against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, let's see if they can push this thing to 4-1. and one. Let's take a quick break, and then let's talk about some other things happening in and around the NFL. This is the 414 Sports Podcast powered by Sewer Ninjas, No Dig Sewer Repair, and we're back right after this timeout. talk about some other things happening in and around the NFL. But before we do, the segment being brought to you by ERA, My Pro Realty in Brookfield. ERA, My Pro Realty is a full-service real estate solutions company intent on reinventing the home buying and selling process. While they do offer traditional real estate services, their holistic approach allows them to offer more than just a one-size-fits-all listing solution for selling your Metro Milwaukee area property. Give Eric Ulvog and his team a call, 414-467-1030, 414-467-1030. Let them know the 414 Sports Podcast sent you. So there were a number of storylines, as there are each and every week around the NFL. We see the Eagles absolutely dismantling the Washington Commanders 24-8. to Jalen Hurts continued just what has been an unbelievable start to this year. He goes for 340 yards and three touchdowns. We see Lamar Jackson who continually gets faced with this insurmountable wave of, I guess, negativity regarding his game and yet, he just continues to win. So the Ravens beat the Patriots 37-26. to The game that really surprised me and continues to surprise me in such a way that I'm, I'm a little bit surprised, shocked by the fact that the Raiders are 0-3. They are the only winless team right now in the NFL as the Titans hold on to win 24-22 to now. Since the advent of, we'll call it modern football, so we'll say over the last somewhere between 30 to 40 years, there has not been a team that has made it to the playoffs that has started 0-3. Now, I shouldn't say hasn't. The percentage is like 2.9%. It's less than 3, so we'll call it 2 and change as far as the percentage goes. 
But that really gives you an indication of the uphill battle if this Las Vegas Raider team is going to even make the playoffs. Josh McDaniels, who was the offensive guru with the Patriots, is getting his second crack at a head coaching position. And you have to begin scratching your head wondering, is he necessarily head coach material? Now, there are a lot of great coordinators out there who don't necessarily evolve into or have the capacity to become effective head coaches. Josh McDaniels, from an offensive side, is one of the best as far as creativity and design and everything that surrounds the offensive side of the ball. But as a head coach, he has not been terribly successful. And now with this Raider team 0-3, we've seen Devontae Adams get targeted. What was it last week? It was less than 10 times. He had five catches. Devontae Adams has has been rendered almost irrelevant on this Raider team. Again, only three games in. There's still plenty of football to go, but you would not have seen somebody like Devontae Adams only being targeted that many times and seeing his catch total drop so dramatically. And so everybody was wondering, you know, how much did Devontae Adams need Aaron Rodgers? How much did Aaron Rodgers need Devontae Adams? I think after three games, it's clear they just need each other. I mean, both thrived having each other on the same side of the football on the same team. And yet without one another, both have struggled a little bit. So we'll keep an eye, obviously, on how the Raiders decide to crawl out of this early hole. And then probably uh, it had to be at least the game of the week, and that was the Dolphins and the Bills. Dolphins come away 20 to 21, excuse me, 19 uh, victorious again over Buffalo. You've got a Miami team now that is 3-0 for only the fifth time in 20 years. Tua Tungabailoa is answering at least early on here all of the critics when it comes to arm strength and can he throw the deep ball and is he a leader of men and all of these things that people were wondering about out loud in August, in July, and over the summer, and yet he has definitely answered the bell. And that was just an extremely entertaining game. And then last year's Super Bowl runner-ups finally got one in the win column as the Bengals beat the Jets 27-12, to and the Bengals, to me, with the way Joe Burrow couldn't practice during uh, camp due to the uh, appendicitis, I think the Bengals are using these first four weeks much like the Packers are in just trying to get everybody back up to speed. Now, the problem that the Bengals have is the fact that they have allowed the quarterback of the future for that team, the franchise quarterback in Joe Burrow, to be sacked so many times. So in in the midst of trying to build your program, in the midst of trying to get the cohesion and everything rolling here in this young season, their franchise quarterback has been taking a beating. So we'll see if this win over the Jets can kind of help propel them forward now and get back to uh, the way they once were as far as last year went. And then the final game to touch on here before we wrap up things 
with the NFL, and that's the Jaguars. The Jaguars beat the Chargers 38-10. to Trevor Lawrence, my goodness, hello, welcome back. It's amazing sometimes that we say, you know, coaching when you get to the pros really doesn't matter. And I would just point to you, one, Trevor Lawrence and what he was doing under Urban Meyer and what he's doing now. The change in coaching makes a difference. And when you find the right coach with the right, in this case, quarterback, when that meld is there, when Doug Peterson is able to come into Jacksonville and kind of resurrect and rebuild everyone's confidence and make it a pro football team again, you're seeing some good stuff happening with Jacksonville. Justin Herbert played. My question to the San Diego Chargers is why? Justin Herbert, who injured the cartilage in his rib cage uh, a week ago, a little over a week ago now, uh, he got out there, did the best he could. He got 200, uh, excuse me, 97 yards passing, but he only completed 55% of his throws. You could tell he wasn't able to put the same velocity on the ball. You could tell that the deep ball really didn't have the same uh, accuracy that it's had over the last couple of years, and yet you got your franchise quarterback out there risking further injury, especially late in the game when the game was out of hand, and yet he's still out there trying to gut it through. The Chargers, I think, could be one of these teams that we look back on two, three, four years from now, looking back at this year and the previous year and wonder, what were you doing? Because you have somebody like Justin Herbert, you have talent in and around him, and yet some of the decision-making that has taken place within that organization has been a little bit head-scratching. So that kind of wraps up week three in the NFL, just remember, let, let's let things play out. The only, the only team right now who should be in panic mode is the Las Vegas Raiders. Because as I said, 2.9%, I think it is, in, in modern-day football has made it to the playoffs after starting 0-3. Is it possible? Sure. Are you saying we got a chance? Eh, maybe. But I'll tell you what, the chance of the Raiders making it to the playoffs is the same chance the Badgers had of beating Ohio State, and we know how that went. And now I need to take a deep breath because after we take a quick timeout, we're going to talk about that fiasco that took place down in Columbus this past weekend, and we'll do so in just a moment. This segment being brought to you by the Journey House College Sports Show. You'll find it now on 97.3 The Game. You can join myself and the professor Dan Underberg each and every week as we break down college football from Division One to Division Three. That's the Journey House College Sports Show. You'll find it now on 97.3, The Game. So we go into last week knowing that the battle, the hill to climb, was going to be enormous. If the Badgers were going to take down Ohio State, 
we knew the hill to climb was going to be extraordinary. And yet, what you hoped for was at least a game. You hoped that if the Badgers, even if they lost by 10 or 12, that they were competitive and that you could feel as if your team was headed, your program was headed in the right direction. But after the loss, after what we saw this past Saturday in that 52-21 to 21 loss, it was beyond disheartening. It's beyond disheartening to see where this team is headed. It is beyond disheartening that I'm hearing people in the local media say, okay, there's Ohio State. Now I'm going to measure how our team is against Illinois, Michigan State, Purdue, Northwestern, Nebraska. Great. So we're measuring ourselves with the second tier. Like we've accepted the fact that we are a second tier team within the Big Ten Conference. Even even I think now we're starting to feel as if we're a second tier even within the Big Ten West, but we're just accepting it. And yet, I don't want to be the one, and, and I'm not going to be the one who wants to run around screaming, we need to fire the coach, we need to fire the coach, because you never know what's on the other side. We've seen coaches get fired, and we've seen teams, programs, not really rebound after the firing of a particular coach, thinking that they could fire the coach and they could move forward and do better. And the list is long. I mean, go go down and look at Auburn. Auburn's an example. Florida State's been an example. Nebraska, heaven knows, has been an example. There's all kinds of teams out there who went ahead, fired coaches, thinking that they could take this team or their team in a specific direction, and it just doesn't happen. So I'm not necessarily saying that we need to fire Paul Chris, even though there are people now out there that think that needs to be the case. But I think what we need to understand is that from a recruiting standpoint, Wisconsin used to bring in, even if they were three-star athletes and developed those athletes so that by the time they were juniors and seniors, they were quality, high-profile collegiate football players. And we're not getting that anymore. We get it now and then. Braylon Allen will be that. If Braylon Allen stays to his senior year, he'll be one of those. Keanu Benton, he'll be one of those. But it's too far and in between. And so I'm reading an article in The Athletic by Jesse Temple, and I think the chasm between the Badgers and a team like Ohio State, and again, it frustrates me mightily to hear people say, well, stop comparing yourself with Ohio State. Ohio State is on a different level. Well, Ohio State is the team that can win continually within the Big Ten. Why wouldn't that be our measuring stick? Why is my measuring stick to be the best of the rest, so to speak, and get another berth in the Mayo Bowl in North Carolina? The measuring stick should be, can we compete for a championship? Even if it's about winning the Big Ten West and playing Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship and being competitive, that has to be step number one. Not necessarily that we have to roll in there and beat them, but be competitive. 
give the team a game. Last week, it, it, it looked like we didn't even have a game plan for Ohio State. That was the first time that I can think of in Jim Leonard's tenure as a defensive coordinator where I threw my arms up in the air and just wondered what was going on. Graham Mertz made some mistakes again. I, I've grown accustomed to it. I've grown accustomed to the fact that teams will put eight in the box to stop Braylon Allen and challenge Graham Mertz and the receiving core, and we don't have a way to answer. What I didn't expect was an Ohio State team to come in and just roll over us defensively in our defensive performance the way they did. Now, yes, we were missing some key players, but do you realize how many players were missing from Ohio State? The fact that their wide receiving core was made up of second and third stringers, and at some point probably the four-string receivers in there, and that each of those receivers could probably start for the Badgers, and we did not have an answer for it. So going back, I'm reading uh, Jesse Temple's article, and he's talking about the recruiting classes. And he says, Wisconsin's 2023 class ranks number 56. It does not include one single four-star player. So our recruiting class is made up of two- and three-star athletes. Ohio State, meanwhile, has three five-star players and 35 four-star prospects in their recruiting class. And it ranks number four. Now, I should say 35 four-star prospects. That's over two consecutive recruiting classes. But in each case, they rank number four. So from a recruiting standpoint, it ain't happening. We're not getting it done. See, I think Paul Chris is a good coach. I think schematically he knows how to coach the game of football. I think we all understand Jim Leonard is a magnificent defensive coordinator. But if you don't have players who have the skill set to compete with what other teams are putting on the field, you had, in essence, the varsity playing the freshman on Saturday. And, yes, you hope that things will get better against the Illini starting on uh, Saturday at Camp Randall. I mean, to me, there'd be nothing better than beating Brett Bielema, who I, I'm not a fan of whatsoever. And I'll get into that later in the week. But you have a chance to maybe kind of start erasing the memory of what Ohio State was. But what can't be erased is the difference the Grand Canyon-like chasm that sits between us and what is now the elite team in the Big Ten. But let's also remember, this is an elite team that Michigan beat and Penn State was highly competitive with. And suddenly, we want to erase what happened and focus in on the hodgepodge that we're all clumped in the middle, and that's how we'll base the success of our season while an Ohio State, a Michigan, and a Penn State ascend to another level. I have a problem with that argument. And so if, if it means that we have to lose a coach in order to figure out how to recruit better, I don't know. Maybe so be it. Again, I'm not one in the firing coaches. 
because you always don't necessarily get what you think you're going to get. And then maybe it's just a structural change within the administration at Wisconsin as far as recruiting goes. Now, a few years ago, we were touting the recruiting class when Graham Mertz came in. That really didn't pan out much better. I mean, we, we, we've seen what's happened with Graham Mertz. Dan Underberg, who I do the college sports show with on 97.3 uh, The Game now, was talking to me about when the Badgers used to develop quarterbacks and what they were like once they became seniors. So the question he posed to me was, if we're playing this past Saturday and Graham Mertz, in this case, is throwing that out, which ended up being intercepted, which led to then the Badgers falling down 14 nothing after a couple of offensive plays by the Ohio State Buckeyes, did you, would you trust Graham Mertz or maybe like a Jack Cohn in his senior year? I think it's a fair question. I think it's a fair question. In the past, yes, we've had two- and three-star quarterbacks, but by the time they got seniors, or to be seniors, excuse me, they were good college football players. What we're seeing now at Wisconsin, I think, I, I really think at the administration level, somebody's going to need to sit down, reevaluate the whole program, and make some structural changes so we can figure out how we're going to be competitive. Everybody wants to say, well, you know, Wisconsin has high academic standards. I ain't got a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. Notre Dame has high academic standards, and they found a way to be competitive all these years. They might be in a downturn right now after a coaching change, but under Kelly, they were a contending team year in and year out. It can be done. Is it more difficult than maybe some other schools? Sure. I, I'm, I wouldn't argue with that whatsoever. But to say that we can't do it because we have higher academic standards, I'm not going with that. So the Badgers, after what was a, just an unbelievable loss, will again take the field on Saturday. They'll take on the Fighting Illini. We'll preview that game. We've got a couple of games in Division Three that should be fun coming up this Saturday. We'll talk about those at a podcast a little bit later in the week. Let's take a break on the other side of this Let's talk some baseball. I thought we were done with baseball, but the Brewers keep finding a way to hang on. We'll cover that in just a moment. episode. First of all, want to thank Sewer Ninjas once again for being our presenting sponsor dedicated to solving sewer issues with the latest no-dig sewer repair technology to minimize cost and disruption. Sewer Ninjas utilizes new technology that can repair the sewer system without having to dig up the existing lateral, saving you thousands and giving you a lifetime of protection. No job big or small will be neglected by Sewer Ninjas. They're a local family-owned business that is there to help. 
When you need that help, turn to the drain and sewer experts for Milwaukee and the surrounding communities. Give them a call, 414-250-8605. Once again, that's 414-250-8605. So as we wrap things up today, we start talking baseball once again as the Brewers right now sitting at 82-71. and 71. Losers of one, losing that last game 2-1 to one against the Reds, but taking 3-4 of four from the Reds. Everybody had last night off, so now it's Tuesday here, and we jump into things as the Cardinals once again come to town. The Cardinals have the ability with a win. All they need to do is win, regardless of what happens everywhere else in the division, and they clinch the NL Central. So if we don't want the Cardinals clinching the NL Central at American Family, the Brewers not only need to win for themselves to keep themselves in contention for a wild card berth, but it also then would prevent the Cardinals from celebrating here in Milwaukee. Now, if there is one thing to say about the St. Louis Cardinals here in their last two games, of this season it will be the last time anyone here in Milwaukee gets to see obviously Albert Pujols play who's now over 700 or at 700 home runs and Yadier Molina both of those two have been a thorn in Brewer fan sides their entire tenure in Major League Baseball but they're two of the best to ever play And so if you get the opportunity, head on over to American Family Field. We're rooting for the Brewers to win. But on a nostalgia note, we get to see Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina play. Yadier Molina, who makes catching look so easy. And if anyone has ever spent any time wearing the tools of ignorance, you know how difficult that position is. And yet Yadier just makes it look effortless. And it's just amazing to me to see somebody who's been doing it for as long as he has. So the Brewers, a game and a half out, the nine-game home stand sits in favor of the Brewers. The Phillies, if I'm not mistaken, are on the road for their remaining 10 games in this case, and I think the Padres have a bit of a mix where they're home and away. It's not uh, one way or the other. I think you can split those last nine or 10 games with the Padres both home and away. I heard an interesting stat and one to keep in mind as to when we think about the importance of the regular season, and even though it is a marathon and even though it is 162 games, back in early June, the Brewers had a stretch where they played both the Padres and the Phillies, and in that stretch went 1-9, and nine, or 1-8, and eight, excuse me, in a nine-game stretch. That right there could be the difference as well as it goes for the wild card. You play better there in that early part of June against the two teams now you're trying to overtake to get that wild card spot. We might have a different story. Also think about the struggles the Brewers have had against teams like Pittsburgh and Cincinnati After the All-Star break, you took care of those games. You might not find yourself in this situation as well, but that's where we're at. Nine games, all at home, trying to get to the wild card. 
Let's see how this thing plays out. That'll do it for us on this podcast. As always, thank you so much for logging in and joining us. Our thanks again to Sewer Ninjas and ERA My Pro Realty in Brookfield for being our sponsors. With that, I'm Don Wachillas. Thank you so much again. Take care of one another. We'll talk to you next time.